Hey, I've been waiting six weeks to say this, and I've missed you guys. Um, Grab your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, and give your attention to the reading of God's Word today. All right, well, good morning again. Like Jason said, we're going to be in Matthew 9, verse 9 through 13. I'll give you a minute to get there. Starting in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Westside, it is so great to be back with you. And um, for those of you who don't know, I'm just so grateful to our board. Um, My family and I got a six-week sort of mini uh, sabbatical and time away. And it's very hard for me to put into words uh, what that gift meant uh, to my wife and to my children and uh, for our marriage. And uh, the cards and the letters of we miss you, we love you, uh, just meant the world to us. And I'd like to publicly stop and just recognize um, Pastor Tyler and Parker for, for filling the pulpit and Pastor Tyler for just sort of shifting gears and leading in a number of areas. Can we just publicly just sort of show some love and affirmation? Yes, we, uh, we have an incredible team here, and it is such a gift uh, to be a part of this. And um, Spurgeon one time was asked, how do you keep going, and how do you keep doing what you're doing? And he paused, and he said, um, because my people pray for me. And we felt that over these six weeks. It has been such a gift to my family. Um, Sundays, uh, we got to cook breakfast at the house and hang out with the kids. As long as my kids have been around, I kind of work on Sundays, you know? And so we don't have normal routines like that. And, and it was such an, uh, a gift. Um, one Sunday, I'm going to confess, one Sunday, we went to the river. <laughs> hey, and saw some of y'all. <laughs> All right, okay. I'm just being honest here, okay? And I was like, oh, this is what everybody does. Like, this is fantastic, you know? But um, the time away um, affirmed a number of things. And, and there's no way that I can tell you what the Lord's just done in our heart and mind during this time. But it's affirmed a number of things. And um, primarily, when Courtney and I uh, were offered the opportunity to be a pastor of a church, we prayed together and we asked the Lord, um, if this is your will, we want one church. We want a long tenure. Um, I'm not into the like, I'm, you know, every five years you move and preach those same sermons and you go, like, I'm just, we wanted one church um, for the long haul. And this time away has affirmed uh, that we believe that God has that for us here and to be on board with you guys and live life together in this thing. 
And what I've been so excited about is, is this Axiom series that we've been walking through and the uh, uh, training that we've received through Gravity Leadership, who's been consulting with us um, as a church. And uh, Pastor Tyler and Parker have done a great job. This series is like our vision series. We stop sort of at the beginning of the school year and just revisit who we are, what do we believe, what does the Lord have in store for us in this coming year. And this Axiom series, uh, what we've been learning are these statements that um, are, are really important. They're truthful statements. And these statements are going to be important for us in the culture and the language here at the church, that if you're in a community group or sharing a cup of coffee with somebody, and, and sort of what this is, and, and maybe this will help, and maybe this will date me a little bit, but if you grew up in church really in the 90s at all, like early 90s, late 90s, um, there were a few just sort of staple hallmarks of you kind of being in the church or being in youth group. One of those was DC Talk, just kind of d- d- down with the DC Talk, okay? And uh, the second one was the WWJD bracelets. Anybody remember those? Anybody remember those? Also like the NOTW, the not of this world hats and all that type of stuff. But the WWJD bracelet, and maybe you didn't grow up in church and maybe you were spared from all of these things and that's God's grace on your life. But the bracelet and the WWJD stood for what would Jesus do, right? And so that was a reminder. And anytime your mom or anybody dropped you off in an event, or maybe this just happened to me, like she would look at me and be like, remember, what would Jesus do? You know, and it was this thing. And it's great and it's helpful. I'm still totally pro that. Like, I think we should ask ourselves that question a lot. Um, But we also know what Jesus did too, right? Because we have the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we see how Jesus interacted with the world around him, how he viewed God the Father, how he viewed the people around him. And that's what this Axiom series is, is how can we view the world like Jesus viewed the world? And listen, um, these are strange days in which we live, but I believe, I believe it in my bones that this can be the greatest time for the church of Jesus Christ to shine the gospel. I really believe that. And so what we've been looking at in this Axiom series is a number of things. The first thing that we sort of learned about was this kairos. And kairos is kind of a big word, right? But so is mayonnaise, and you use that all the time, okay? Kairos um, is this word that means I'm becoming aware of God's activity in my life, all right? And so a kairos can happen sort of like Pastor Tyler said. Like it could be an aha moment, like, oh, yeah, I've been praying about this, and now this. I didn't get that job, but now I've got, oh, I, I think I see what God's doing in my life. Aha. Or it could be an uh-oh, right? Like an uh-oh moment, like, oh, no, I can't believe. And what these moments do is they reveal the sort of inner workings of our heart and of our mind. It's really what's been interesting with the pandemic and everything. Um, the pandemic, of course, has caused things. But I think what it's done, it's revealed things that were already there. And so that's what these Kairos moments are, is God's being aware of what God's doing. And so the first axiom that we learned and walked through was this massively important foundational one, that God is always present and at work in our lives. Always. The difference is sometimes we're more aware of that and sometimes we're not, okay? 
But we have to understand that God is always present and doing something. When Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God's doing something. And then last week we learned, and probably one of my favorite axioms is this, that God is like Jesus. And and we learned that we don't get to ask this question, huh, I wonder what God is like, and not have an answer. We see that in the Gospels, Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God the Father. So when we see Jesus interact with a woman caught in the act of adultery, or when we see Jesus touch a leper, God the Father is saying, I'm like that. And we also learn that that we can't separate... um, really, our our earthly father from the impact of how we view God. So whether that's his presence or his absence. And we had to do a little deconstruction and then reconstruct the right image of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And and this week we're on Axiom 3. And just in God's sovereignty and his timing, um, for me to be back in the pulpit, this axiom means, means so much to me. And I really believe, and I said this at the first service, um, I really believe a stirring in my soul that I believe that somebody's life today can change forever. And I believe that it can change for the better. I believe some of us in here today are going to experience some freedom, some freedom from some bondage, whether that be mental, emotional, or spiritual. But I really believe that if we lean in and press in today, that the Lord would meet us. And the big idea in Axiom 3 that we're going to learn today is this foundational truth that God meets us in reality. That's it. That was the big reveal. Okay, right? God meets us in reality. And you're probably like, yeah, yeah, because where else could God meet us, right? That's actually a really good question. And what we're learning about these Axiom series is that on the surface, it's a true statement. And we're like, well, of course, yeah, sure, I totally, you know, I, I believe that. But what we're also learning is that there's something underneath that that actually, well, that we actually believe some lies in our life that prevent us from fully leaning in and believing a truth like this. And I think one of the main ones when it comes to God meets us in reality is we have this idea, or actually this type of theology that I'll call um, Dorothy theology, Right? So from the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy um, didn't want to be in Kansas at all, right? And then, then what happened? She got to leave Kansas. She got to go to Oz. And what did she do the entire movie? Want to go back to Kansas, man. Where's me slick, all right? I just I love the lollipop can. I just love those guys. Those are great, right? But what we think is, is that, sure, Jason, God meets me in reality, um, but But in my life, you know, I know kind of community group, but right now the kids are small. And so, um, yeah, I know the volunteering thing and I know, man, I want to be a part of a church. And so that's, but what I need to do is, um, I know that God wants to meet me right now in my life, but, you know, with my marriage. And so maybe some of these sentences, um, have you ever said these before? Um, You know, when the kids get older, that's when we're really going to press in and Or how about this, Um, when I get married, you know, when I get married and I find, you know, and then we're really going to get involved and then we're really going to, and then all of my dreams are going to come true and I won't have any problems anymore when I get married. Why are y'all, what's the deal here, right? You know, 
But do you see, if I can't now, I know, Jason, we're saying that God wants to meet me here and now, but what I need is, you know, or how about this? Um, if, I'd only, if I'd only stayed in college, if I'd only, or how about this? When I overcome and when I, when I overcome and when I deal with this sin, that's, you know, really when I'm going to, or how about this one? I have the privilege to talk to pastors and people who think about going in ministry or sometimes even people who want to volunteer, you know, and they say things like, well, when, when I go full time, when I go full time, then I'll totally be able to serve and do and just listen, newsflash, God doesn't need you full-time what you're not doing part-time. And that's true for your work as well. There's no, what I'm saying is this. We say that we believe that God meets us in reality, but we live in such a way that we keep postponing and brushing off these events in our lives and say, well, God can't meet us there. And in our passage today, what we see in Matthew chapter 9 is, is the calling of Matthew. And it's a few short verses, but there's going to be a lot in there that we see. Now remember, God is like Jesus. God is always present and at work, and God meets us in reality. And we're going to see all three of those come together in these verses. And I just have two principles that I want us to look at today. And the first one is this. If we say that God meets us in reality, what we're saying is, is that God meets us where we are. God meets us where we are right now. So look at what happens, verse 9. If you've got your Bible, please look at your Bible. Even if you have a fake one on your phone, we'll let it slide. Verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, so... We like the Bible here at Westside. We like to study it and see what's going on. That tells me that something else has been happening. As Jesus passed on from there, when I look up, Jesus healed a guy who was paralyzed, who couldn't walk. And then when I look up again, uh, verses 28, Jesus healed two men with demons. That's incredible. Jump up, verse 23, Jesus calms a storm. Um, what we're seeing in this passage is there's a lot of healing that's going on. And Jesus is showing these miraculous events. And then there's the calling of Matthew. And I would say Matthew gets to experience something with God that those other people didn't even get to experience to a level. And why is that important? Well, I think the writer is showing us something. We think primarily that God meets us in the marvelous miracles, and mighty acts. And yes, he does. And we have seen people pray for miraculous things in this church, and we have seen God answer miraculous prayers in this church. Amen? God does that. But oftentimes we ignore and focus that God wants to meet us in the miraculous, and we forget the mundane. We know that God, we come in this place expecting God to meet us on a Sunday. But what is your expectation tomorrow when you walk in that classroom or that office or that job site? It's, it should be the same. And that's what we see in these verses. And so it says that Jesus passed from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. One verse, profound truth is in it. So, if you grew up in church or if you have any knowledge of the Bible, you know that the tax collectors, they're, the, they're, they're some bad guys, is what they're considered, okay? And, and what we know about this is 
Matthew's name. Matthew um, has a, a Jewish ethnicity about the name. So now we see a lot. We see that Matthew, who was ethnic, uh, ethnically a Jew, but is a tax collector, which means this, that he sold out his Jewish people and is working for the Roman government collecting taxes. And the Roman government oppressed the Jewish people. So can you imagine somebody that you grew up with who shares, is supposed to share the same ethnicity and all of that. They come knocking on the door, collecting taxes, ripping you off. They're stealing from you, all of those things. And it's really hard to actually socially and culturally have that impact of what that means. And so William Barclay put it this way. By Jewish law, a tax gatherer was debarred from the synagogue. Okay, so jelly on the bottom shelf. Matthew wasn't allowed to come to church because of the lifestyle and what he did. Matthew was not allowed to go to the house of God. But listen, I just, I just got to get this out already. I'm just excited to preach. Matthew wasn't allowed to go to the house of God, but the God of the house came to Matthew. That's the good news. That they were literally disbarred from the synagogue. He was included with things as beasts and unclean animals. And Leviticus chapter 20 verse 5, which pertains to leprosy, was applied to tax collectors. In, in Leviticus 20, we see that if somebody had leprosy, the skin disease, talk about social distancing and stuff, like, whoa. These guys would have to, if they came in contact with anyone, walk into the street, walked into a room, would have to yell, unclean, unclean. Nobody touched them. Nobody looked at them. Can you imagine the guilt and the shame of somebody living that way? This is the life that Matthew lived. He was forbidden to be a witness in any case, and robbers, murderers, and tax gatherers were all classified together. Now, knowing that, Jesus walks up to him and says, I pick you. I want you. Oh, sinner. Oh, person with addiction. Oh, person with guilt, shame, all of that. I choose you. You see, what Jesus didn't say was, hey, Matthew, I want you to come and follow me, but you're doing the tax thing, your friends, all that stuff, your posts on social media. I mean, we got to clean some things up. We're going to work. We're going to get you in the training program. We're going to get you in Max Licato's leadership program. This is going to be incredible. It's going to be awesome. And then, then I want you to follow me. Jesus meets Matthew right where he's at in that reality. And so the question that we ask is, where are you? And here's what I mean by that. Matthew was right where he was living that lifestyle and Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me. Matthew was honest about where he was and the current reality that he was living. He didn't put on a front. And when it comes to um, interacting with God, I think a lot of us have, um, well, we try to deal with reality in a number of ways. 
And actually, we deal with it in a number of dangerous ways. Because right now in 2020, reality is a little weird, okay? But I think there's three primary ways that if you talk to a counselor, a physician, or anybody, that are some very dangerous things that we as human beings do. And then to add on top of that, this understanding and relationship with God. And so the first dangerous way that we deal with reality is through distraction. That we actually are just not going to deal with reality, so therefore we're going to stay distracted. And whether that's through social media, and, that, and listen, by the way, one of the greatest things about my six-week sabbatical was I was off all social media. So I didn't get to see any of y'all's posts about Trump and Biden and any of that stuff, and it was great, okay? But right now, we are living in such a way that I don't even think anyone is aware of what things like social media and stuff like this are actually doing to our brains. I mean, there was a level that in week one and week two of, you know, sitting there getting gas or waiting in a waiting room, and so I deleted all the apps off of my phone, and there was almost like a fidgety, like, oh man, what are we, you know, this level of distraction. But here's something else that's even more scary. Some of us distract ourselves from reality by actually being successful and accomplishing good things. So um, it's, it's another bid for a job, or it's another project, or hey, let's travel here, or hey, let's do this, and let's, because when we sit and when we rest, all of a sudden some things become revealed about what's in our heart and in our minds. And so distractions, or how about the second way, um, distortion. We, we distort reality, and, and that's, that's very scary and very dangerous, and, and maybe this will help. So, um, you know, I have the privilege and opportunity of being there in people's lives in, in moments of need and, and crisis, and I also get to be there in moments of celebration and joy when a baby's born or at a wedding and all of that stuff. But oftentimes, um, I get to sit at a table with someone who's dealing with an addiction or struggling, and somebody set up that meeting. And so we worked closely with the John 316 Ministries, had a lot of guys go through. And so inevitably, um, I'll sit down at a meeting with somebody who's struggling with addiction or alcohol or something. And at the beginning of the meeting, you know, hey, how's it going? How are you? What do you need? Well, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm drinking a little too much and stuff, but, but I don't need to go anywhere. I don't, I don't need to go anywhere. Um, do you have a book? Do you have a book? Um, could, you, could you meet maybe on Tuesdays, on Tuesday mornings? Could you meet on Tuesday mornings and then that's going to be the thing? Or, um, you know, the marriage. The marriage is in shambles. But, but do you have a devotional? Is there a devotional? You know, because we don't, we don't need to go see a counselor or do anything like that. Well, we... And see, in that moment when I hear somebody say that, I hear someone who is living in a distorted reality. Because what you're refusing to do is you're refusing to see what's actually really there. And we see this all through the scriptures, right? So remember the passage where Jesus talks about how two people who um, maybe one has sinned against the other should deal with each other. Like if you have a fault, you should go to that person. And there's like three stages. And what you see is, is each stage sort of increases in severity because it becomes clear that that person refuses to see reality in their fault. So, so, so you take some more people or you say, hey, this is really real. And what you see is somebody who's living in a distorted reality. It's a dangerous way to deal with it. 
And then the last thing is this, disconnection. And this is where either heavy mind-altering substances or what we've seen through this pandemic, um, suicide rates are at an all-time high, anxiety is higher than it's ever been. Listen, reality for us is difficult. We don't know how to manage it. And then we think that we have to do something in order for God to meet us. And so what, what's the answer then? If, if there's something that's continually going wrong, well, well, the Bible would say two just things. Number one, that it's not supposed to be this way, actually. That God created everything good. That's why we get heartbroken. And that's why when you stand at a graveside at a funeral, there's just something in you, no matter how old or how young, where you go, gosh, it's, this isn't supposed to be this way. And the Bible's answer would be sin. And now, you know, you go, oh, well, I get that. And that's, surely it's more complex and it just can't be that. Because Jason, you know, well, 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 listen, I think it's our misunderstanding of that. Let's work with this definition. Sin is rejecting God's reality. So parents, you know, dealing with your children on this, right? One day I was at the house with uh, Piper Graham and she's our youngest. And she's like the Sour Patch commercials where they like kick you in the shin and then hug you, right? That's, that's Piper. She's sweet and sour. I love her to death. She's ferocious, man. She can keep up with her brother and sister. And one day I'm hanging out and Piper loves chocolate. Loves it, loves it, loves it. Super obsessed with it. Has a big problem. Pray for Piper, okay, right? And so one day I'm sitting there and I'm reading and she comes by and she goes, I'm going to get some chocolate. And I said, well, no, ma'am, you're not, okay? Not right now. We'll deal with that later. So she leaves and I'm reading. And then she comes in and she's doing ninja is what she says, right? So she's doing real quiet ninja stuff. And I look up at her and she goes, no, no, you know, see me. You know, see me. Well, baby, I do see you, okay, right? Still trying to go get chocolate, um, God, you know, see me. God, you know, see me. I mean, I mean, pick the topic. It can be money, it can be sexuality, it can be whatever it is. I mean, read Romans chapter 1. Post that on your social media status and see how well it goes for you. Sin is rejecting God's reality. So what's the answer? The Bible would say it's repentance. And repentance is returning to God's reality. Listen, we don't need to complicate these things. We don't need to make them what they're not, okay? Repentance in the story of the prodigal son, there was something that happened. It was how good my father's house is. I need to return there. That's what this is. So listen, for some of us in here today, please hear me and listen to this. God meets you right where you're at, right where your marriage is at, right where your finances are, where all, right where you are right now, that's where God wants to meet with you. And it also means this, which is the second point, that if God meets us where we are, well, let's say it this way. God meets us where we are not where we pretend to be. And now we get into the rest of the text. You see, the calling of Matthew um, in these verses is summed up in one verse. Verse 9. 
But there's so much more here, which tells me this. God's showing us something. So now we're introduced. Verse 10, check this out. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house. So, so here's how it went down. God meets Matthew right where he's at. Matthew stands up from the tax booth, is so enamored by this person of Jesus Christ that what appears to be calls all of his boys, everybody comes and hangs out at his house and has Jesus over to his, uh, to his house to hang out. He wants his friends to meet Jesus too, which is awesome when it comes to how we as Christians are supposed to be. So check this out. Look at verse 10. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold. Isn't that like... So we did Advent this year, and, and the word was behold. And we learned that any time in our Bible when we see the word behold, we need to get ready, right? Because something really cool is about to happen. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Um, anytime I'm preparing a sermon or studying God's word, I try to find a, a word, just one word, uh, that, that means something to me. And you know what my favorite word is in these verses? It's the word many. Many. How many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus at the table? I don't know, but many. Were some prostitutes there? Yep. Were some murderers and some thieves there? Yep. Were some liars there? Yep. Here's the question. Are you there? You say, Jason, what do you mean? Well, now we're introduced to some people who aren't sitting at the table. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, see, they didn't say it to Jesus. They had a problem with Jesus, but they didn't say it to Jesus, right? Because we can't relate to anything in the Bible because those people are so different from us, right? So they had a problem with Jesus, so they talked to his disciples. And then Jesus heard it, bingo, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call the righteous. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now we're introduced to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the legal experts of the Old Testament. They had memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So anytime there was a social, ethical, moral problem, the people went to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, listen to me, were the moral, conservative, Bible-thumping believers. That's who they were. And the harshest that Jesus deals with people in the Gospels is the Pharisees and Sadducees. You say, Jason, why? Well, we're seeing it here. Look at what Jesus says in verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 12. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Oh, please listen, keep, keep tracking with me. The many tax collectors and sinners that were at the table, they were sick. And they knew they were. And they knew that Jesus knew they were. And they knew that Jesus knew they were, but yet was still interacting with them. Listen, 
There was intimacy in the relationship. But then the Pharisees come along and they're not at the table. They're, they're over there and they're judging and they're saying these things because that's not supposed... Maybe this will help. Um, the Lord speaks to me in a number of ways. Uh, primarily, if it's not the Bible, through my wife, right? Amen. And so, uh, but I, I love art and I love movies. And there was a movie a number of years ago, The Truman Show with Jim Carrey. You remember this movie? Uh, it was right when the wave of reality television was hitting the scene. And so um, this was a movie making fun and poking at reality television, right? And so the premise is, is Jim Carrey plays Truman. And from birth, there's a camera on Truman, on Jim Carrey for his whole life. His whole life is a TV show, but he doesn't know it. But everybody else does. There's an entire set, the town that he lives in, where he gets coffee. I mean, literally, it's crazy to think about, right? And so it literally shows every day, like him waking up and like shaving. It's, it's, it's really incredible. And then some things start happening. Like he finds a camera that like falls from the sky. But here's the primary thing. Truman is longing for these relationships with people. And he wants to get out of that hometown. He wants to experience intimacy in something new. But he can't. And at the end of the movie, when he finds, by the way, spoiler alert, the movie's like 20 years old, okay, right? When he finds out, um, you know, it's all fake, and then he leaves the set, he asks this question, and please don't miss this, to the creator of the show. Was it all fake? Was it all fake? And the creator says this, all of it was fake, but you. You were real. And so then Truman steps off the set and goes out into the real world with reality to have intimate relationships. Please listen, don't miss this. The only way that we can have intimacy is through honesty. You can only have an intimate relationship if there's honesty and transparency there. And what I see here in the text is that the many tax collectors and sinners are honest about their state of life with Jesus, but the Pharisees are not. They are removed. That's why later on what we see in the scriptures is Jesus says this in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. The strongest words that Jesus deals with anybody is someone who will not be honest with him about their state of being. And a hypocrite, a hypocrite is someone who pretends to be what they never intend to be. And just talk to any non-Christian. You know what the number one, I've been in the game for a long time. You know what the number one um, beef that non-Christians have with Christians in the church? That place is full of you know what my response is now? You're absolutely right. Come join us. Because like, who are you, right? And do you know what um, scares me? Jesus says that on the day of judgment, when everybody gives an account before God for their life, that there's going to be a group of people who say, uh, hey, Jesus, we went to church. We joined. We served. Um, we were uh, Bible thumpers. We did this. We did the bread shed. We did everything, Jesus. We joined. We were in community groups. Jesus, we even did miracles and saw incredible things. And Jesus 
says, um, depart from me, for I never knew you. I never knew you. Well, that's, that's relationship. That's, that's intimacy. Listen, here's the sentence. There is a false way to follow Jesus that focuses on appearance and forsakes the real hard work of honesty and transparency. And listen to me, Butler County has perfected it. And be careful before you amen. Because in a town where there's a Dollar General, a Mexican restaurant, a car dealership, and a church on every corner, there's a level of cultural language that, oh yeah, church, my grandma, I'm there. Oh sure, Jesus, God loves me. I understand that. And what I don't see, what I don't see is a deep intimacy with Jesus. What I see is, is something mechanical. And, and, and can I just, can I be honest with you? Um, I find myself focusing on the outside more than the inside. Um, so my personality type is, I love goals. I love achieving them. Um, I love doing really hard things. I love Jordan tennis shoes, just those type of things. And so um, oftentimes I work to impress at the cost of my own soul. So sometimes I view the scriptures um, as a tool to get a sermon ready and not treasure daily bread for my own heart. Sometimes I view prayer as mechanical and not personal. Why? Because I believe a lie that I am my performance and I am what I do and that I have to earn your love and that I have to earn God's love. It's something I struggle with every day of my life. And I'm learning that intimacy can only happen through honesty. So why can't we be honest? What's the struggle? Well, here's the fear. That if you're fully known, you won't be fully loved. So some of us in our marriage are dealing with some issues that our spouse is even completely unaware of. And that actually, holding that dishonesty is actually hurting your marriage more than the thing you're actually struggling with. And some of us have relationships with our parents. Some of us claim the name of Jesus Christ and read our Bible every single day and have so much bitterness and unforgiveness in our heart towards our mother and father that it would be shocking. What are we so afraid of? We're afraid that if we're honest, we won't actually get that love. And listen, I've come bearing good news today. The good news is this. God loves the real you. Please, no, 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 you don't understand what I'm saying. You're nodding your head, but you don't understand. God loves the real you. From the abortion to the addiction, to the divorce. God loves you. You. And all he asks, do you know what your kids are learning today? This is your kid's sticky sentence. All God asks of me 
is honesty. That's all, that's it. Do you know why? And this is something I've learned and I'm closing with this. What you hide will never be healed. What you hide will never be healed. That's why Jesus tells them. That's why Jesus says on the day of judgment and upon reckoning, depart from me for I never knew you. For you hid your true self and that intimacy was never there. And it's something that I'm learning in my own life. For it's hard for me to be honest and open about my failures and my struggles with people and friends because I struggle with deep insecurities and anxieties of what do people think and all of that. And I've just, I'm sorry if this makes you uncomfortable, but I'm just trying to come to be honest today. And I've experienced the blessing that comes with honesty. And here's what I mean. Um, A few weeks uh, before uh, the time away with the family and and the board granting a sabbatical, I was having a conversation with one of my friends who's in the ministry. He's Pentecostal. And, And can we just all, everybody needs a Pentecostal friend, okay? It's just awesome, super cool. Anytime I'm like, hey, man, we need to pray, we stop and pray like right where we're at. And it's just real loud and it's just incredible, okay? And I was sharing uh, with him, you know, man, I'm, I'm believing the lie that my identity is I am what I do. And that I don't know who I am if I'm not preaching or if I'm not the pastor of Westside. And it then creates all of these internal anxieties for me. And he said, man, I'm going to be praying for you, bro. And I'm going to be asking God to reveal himself to you. And so we prayed. And then one morning I got this text message. Yo, bro. That's real spiritual language there. Yo, bro. I was cooking some breakfast earlier and the Lord led me to pray for a few people and you were one of them. The Lord's been challenging me to reach out to the people that I'm praying for and letting, know, letting them know that I'm praying for them. I want you to know what I prayed for you. And this is the word that I believe God has for you. I feel like you're about to experience the presence of God like you never have before. It's like I saw a picture of the dining room of your life like this past year has been a clearing and cleaning and setting up of the dinner table. It's God's about to bring out the food. And I felt like God met you right before you sat down. And you seemed so tired and fatigued and anxious. And you were wearing a shirt that was dirty and the label on the shirt said work. And God gave you a big hug and he told you that he was proud of you And then he pulled out your seat and he said this, take off your work. You don't need that to feel like you belong at this table. With me, your mind can rest and I'll provide your food. I feel like this next season of your relationship with God is going to be awesome. Sure, you're gonna have to work, but it's gonna be from a place of rest rather than striving. But just know, that this is only the appetizer and that the best is yet to come. See, what you hide, it'll never be healed. And the grace that God is just ready to dump out upon your life, all he asks for is that honesty and that transparency. And through that, God meets us there. And so in closing, I just have one, just one simple question. Where are you? Mentally, 
emotionally, spiritually? Where's your marriage? Where's your relationships right now? Where are you? Because God wants to meet you there. And so as we close, if everybody would just stand to your feet with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just feel very led to create a sacred space for us and to go before the Lord. And so just with every head bowed and every eye closed, as I ask that question, where are you? I want to create an opportunity for us to be honest, to experience that intimacy and that blessing that the Lord would have. And for some of you, the answer to that question is, I am not in a good place. My marriage is barely holding on. My addiction is out of control. My anxiety is through the roof. And I am ready to explode at any moment. Right now, if you were to say, Jason, where I'm at is not a good place, and just with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you feel like that's where you're at in this season in your life, could you just slip up your hand right where you're at so you can be prayed for and you can acknowledge, you can know that, yes, yes, you're seen, yes, yes, Jesus, you're loved, yes. Because the moment that we reveal what we've hidden, that's when the healing comes. So Heavenly Father, we come before you in this place with many hands that have been raised saying, I'm not in a good place in this season and I don't know where to go and I don't know what to do. But God, we're so encouraged that we see, behold, many tax collectors and sinners were sitting at the table that those who are honest as to where they are, that you don't desire sacrifices because Jesus, you were our sacrifice. What you desire is honesty. So for those of us who've had our hands raised, God, I pray that you would meet them right where they are and that your love and that your grace and that your mercy would flood their hearts and flood their minds. Oh God, I pray for this church. Oh Jesus, may we never May we never be the false form of following you where we focus on the outside here at Westside and that there's relationships that smile and nod at one another, but inside there's bitterness and there's hurt. God, may we be honest and experience that grace together as a community of people. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We say all of these things in the mighty and in the holy and in the grace-filled name of Jesus Christ. Amen.